this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome to the award-winning Interest in Health and Safety podcast, making health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. And now your host, health and safety specialist, mentor and speaker, Colin Nottage. Hi there, it's Colin Nottage here and welcome to the Interest in Health and Safety podcast. Today I am joined by Verena Siebert-Giller. Um, Verena is a psychologist and is also a user experience expert and we talk about you know what makes a good document it might sound a little bit uh, a little bit heavy this but in actual fact we have a really great conversation so um i'm gonna hand straight over to verena and uh i'll catch you at the end bye now verena thank you thank you so much uh thank you so much for joining us today thank you for having me it's uh, it's great it's great for you uh, for you to come on. I'll I'll, I'll introduce you um uh, when I when I do like a, a a short piece at the start of the uh, of the of the episode. Um, but I'd like you to 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 tell us a little bit about yourself. But I just want to sort of tell the people that are listening while, while we're having a chat because I thought it was lovely because you you dropped me an email and or and uh, or through LinkedIn and you just said, "Oi, Colin, you've spoken about documents and you've your episode was too short. There's so much more." That you could talk about user experience with with documentation, and uh, and I just thought it was lovely that you'd uh, you'd reached out to us and uh, and and had a go at me, <laughs> and so I thought right, well, let's let's get you on, let's get you on and have a chat. Um, so it's great Thank to. You so, much. so could you could you give us a little bit of um a little bit of background about 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 where you are, who you are, um you know what's your what your what your career has been today. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm a psychologist. I've got my PhD in psychology, behavioral and cognitive psychology, and I've been working in the field of technology for almost 28 years now. And I did lots of stuff in air traffic businesses, big construction areas, um, packaging, although it's a big, huge industry. And my main focus is always on making technology or designing, or having people design technologies in a way that the people who have to use it, the really users, um, can do so easily on the one hand to really make uh, products more safe, make systems more safe. And on the long run, you can also have people work more efficiently, more effectively, more satisfied. But I think it's very important that we, when we introduce technologies and also documentation, this is where I'm here today about, that we really see that it's perfectly tailored to the user's needs on the one hand, but also to the specific situation that people are in, the stress and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so in all my career, I've always been looking at product systems, technologies, also services from this part of you, really hands-on psychology that it's perfectly fit for people. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's such, a, it's such an important aspect. And I think it's one that the health and safety profession in general doesn't do particularly well. Is that is that fair to say? Um, yes, there are lots of things that they could do better. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'd love to explore that a little bit today, and, yeah. and and maybe we can chat about a reason about a reason why you know why you think it it, it will be better doing it that way. If that's if that's okay. So yes. so you know so so you're currently you 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 live in Vienna. Is that correct? I live in Vienna. Yes. Fantastic. And and do you have your do you have your own your own business there or? I have my own business. Like I'm a kind of one person. I used to have my company I had 25 people stuff, but then for family reasons I sold it, and now I'm kind of freelance on my own. But I have a huge network of uh, people who I collaborate with. Yeah. And on the documentation side, I work with and for a company in Canada, 
is an Austrian guy who lives in Canada, and he specialized in UX engineering usability for documentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, when we got together a couple of years ago, it's really like, this is something I also have to do despite technology to also focus on documentation. So I went to Canada, meet, met him, and since then we work also for the company and we really bring documents um, further to make them more safely when people work with them. Okay, so, so um, you know, just so so I can get the sort of the, the context right. Then, are you are you talking about uh, are you talking about documentation that you mainly access online, or is this stuff that people that people read, handbooks and stuff like that? Yes, more the phone? second one. It's like handbooks, uh, procedures, like yeah. standard operating procedures. Mm-hmm. Um, the typical one is if say if we have a logout tagger procedure or things like that. So really, okay. things that people um, the drive behavior. We always like like to talk about documents to drive behavior where people take the document and whether it's on a pad like electronic or on paper that's not the part uh, but they get the document and they have to follow some instructions and to have to do something mm-hmm. that's the main the main point which i'm most interested in okay okay so so i mean where 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 do you start then i mean is it uh, you know is it is it the layout of the document i mean you know what what's more important the layout or the or the or the or the text that's written or is there is there is there an element to both of that i mean where where, where would you start with it yeah. um definitely both uh, but the most important thing is that we have first that we really look at who is going to use this document what are this what's the skill set of the people who are going to use the document depending, starting with um, language, with um, what domain knowledge do they have from the uh, respective topic they are in, um, the reading skills and all those aspects. Um, So what are the users? We look at uh, really what use cases does a document have to serve? So in what kind of situations, um, user scenarios, do people turn to the document? Because that's one major problem with documents that people think, oh, we could also write this content in here and let's put a couple of information about this and that also in the document. And then a document which might be a nice three-page um, document, easy to understand and easy to find the contents that I re- the user really needs in this document. Um, people stuff it and fill it on with lots and lots of additional st- things rather than keeping it simple and really stick to the use cases, the things that they re- the people really want um, when they turn to the document. And um, you know, in many cases, we find documents where somebody seems to have the need to educate people in a procedure. If I have people who turn to like a logout, takeout procedure to have the very typical thing, um, then I guess they are educated on very, very, um, very broad, background information and in the procedure I should not educate them I should tell them what to do and so we don't have blended content like parties instructions parties educational stuff and we clearly separate those okay so we have the users who is it for what are the use cases so that we find out what is really needed in this document uh, this is let's say the content part very briefly there's more to it but briefly spoken and then the second part is what you call the layout. Um, layout, uh, from my perspective, does nothing does not have anything to do with how beautiful is it. A document should not be a beauty contest. It has to really serve uh, the reading patterns. We know as a psychologist, we have very specific eye movement patterns when we um, uh, assess a document. And they are the same for all of us. 
And so if we build documents that serve those eye tracking or these eye movement patterns, uh, people will by far faster find the contents that they need. Um, and then we stick to things like uh, what grammars do you do we need in what kind of documents? Short sentences, you know, passive voice, uh, lots and lots of stuff, all those, uh, yeah, also. So it's a package of at least 15, 20 criteria from the psychological part of view, point of view that we uh, include, we engineer in the document. We don't like to say writing documents. We prefer to say um, engineering documents. It's like I, I would never give some, some technician, like here you have five, I don't know, uh, five days of work, please produce something. I don't know who is it for, um, but it will be some kind of, um, you'll probably use it, I know, in this work area and see that it do your best. And this is what we sometimes do with documents. Please write down what in this workplace, what should be done without who is it for? Um, is the person under stress, under timely constraints when he has to use it and so forth? Um, so we see when we engineer documents that we kind of like if we do with the software, we have very strict requirements and then build the documents to meet the requirements that we've uh, really fixed beforehand or set up beforehand. So if you're going to, um, you know, if you're going to put something together, you talk about lockout, tagout, um, mm -hmm. you mentioned there, you know, so, you know, so typically that's, that's, um, you know, that's aimed at the people that are going to be, that are going to be working on the equipment and doing some form of maintenance or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and there could be a whole, there could be a whole range of, uh, of knowledge and understanding of those, of those people. You know, yeah. so how do you, how how do you go about? I mean, do do you have multiple documents for for different kinds of learners, or do you or do you try and keep it simple as in one document that everybody takes on board? How does it how does it work? It's uh, it's mainly it's quite critical. We try to get the minimum skill set that people really have to have to serve those purposes. And okay. if we find we have the same document, which should be used on the one hand, the same content we, for some people have very intense, uh, very deep knowledge about something mm -hmm. and other people who don't have any knowledge about it, then we see that uh, perfectly, they would get uh, different documents because I can kind of meet them on a different level of, um, experience because I would bore or yeah, bore the one who's very experienced with a very with a document that has lots and lots of additional information but I would make it very complicated for the people who has not so much experience to have to deal with a document which is uh, not easy to understand uh, mm. by him. So just going back to a point you were talking about earlier then okay you, you know you mentioned about um you know sort of like a clear and simple procedure and then and then just so would you have like a a, you know, a very, very simple, straightforward procedure, but then there could be a guidance document that sits next to that, that it gives a lot more detail. Is that, is that you know, so there'd be something something short and sharp and then something a bit more detailed that sits by the side of it? Um, something, I like the expression, something short, this, uh, short and sharp, yes. And then you, you would, um, yes, so if in an additional document, people get guided, get more information, more background information, but it should not be the case that in, in the situation where the people use the user uses the procedure that he has to use the additional document. So mm -hmm. in the situation where the user turns the document to do something in this document that he has in hand, uh, he should find all the information that he needs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But in a 
but uh, if we say additional information, training materials in a separate document. So when you were you were talking then about sort of you know um, a document that uh, serves the needs of somebody's reading pattern, okay, mm-hmm. which I really I, I, that's really fascinating. That mm-hmm. what does that look like in reality then? You know, when you when you're actually you know is it is it bigger text for certain for certain lines or is it different colors or what 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 is it you're talking about there? Um, it's when we turn to the document, nobody ever really reads text by text. If we read a book like like a romance or Harry Potter or whatever, we really go through the text line by line because we just read it. When we turn to a document like a procedure, handbook, whatever, then the, our eyes just skip from one word to another, seeking uh, like for keywords that we, or that we think serve our purpose. And when we open a document at first hand, the eye movement at first is always like a big set. Like we go like a big set from top of the page to the right, left, like left, top, right, top, left, bottom, right, bottom, like a set. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. This is like a millisecond. Then the brain has an idea of what the principal structure of the page is like. Okay. And then we go through it always. All the people, we, we find that across all cultures, across everybody, like an F or an E, like an F, like the letter F. Okay. So we go through one down and then we start from left to right. Uh, but only every third, fourth, fifth uh, line, maybe, and we see we seek keywords. And now um, the first or second keyword that we find is the one that we take as an anchor and we read on from that. But the problem is if I have a normal just a text, really like an um, line by line, the probability that the people find the wrong keyword is quite large, and then they mm-hmm. oversee other things. If we have a layout where we have one part of this, like we have margin titles to give an example. And the first thing that when we have um, introduced this F pattern, that the people just go rapidly through the margin titles. Uh, and if these margin titles serve uh, um, some rules, how they are how they are done, they serve uh, for the user a starting point where he should, he or she could find additional information besides we have margin title on the right hand side. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit difficult to maybe to describe if you just hear it, but it's really um, Klaus Hoover who has uh, developed a specific uh, method here to how these documents can be done. Um, he's really um, developed this layout, but it's not just a beauty contest, it's really to really serve uh, the eye traffic movement. Mm-hmm. And especially we have to think that when people are under stress, uh, our vision, field of vision decreases, our mental capacities decrease. And so in that case, we even have to have a layout or layout a structure of the page where these reading patterns um, are easily picked up um, by the user. So what what sort of practical things then can you do to to get people to to move to those keywords then? How can you how can how can you make them them stand out in effect i mean is, is that what you're trying to do uh, yes kind of uh, well the one hand is we have uh, what we call my it's, it's more to this the, like the header of a of a of a, ty- of a um, page or chapter has to have a very clear promise that users really know what the content is they are going to see not just instructions but log out take out whatever really the content and then if we have what we call margin titles, like on the left hand side, other 
other layout printers have this also, but we fall a bit more, more, more in depth. Then people will read through the left-hand side or scan through the left-hand side. What is the, like a small header for the content that, that the user is going to find on the right-hand side. Okay. So we have, um, and if we then see to, um, I find that it's quite difficult to understand it's to describe this just verbally. I, I think um, I, I think it, I, I'm I must admit I'm following what you're saying, so I think you're doing okay. really well. Okay, thank you. Other people might disagree, you know. Contact me and send them a picture. Um, and the um, the idea is that we also see we have specific. Um, what we call links that if I find like in the margin title a specific word and then the user moves from the margin title to the right hand side we've included links so that one or two words are always repeated okay. and this repetition has a very interesting aspect uh, on our retina in our eye uh, the visual impression uh, remains for 1.5 seconds and if I reread a word within these 1.5 seconds it is not um, felt by the brain as redundancy, but as a reinforcement. Mm. And the, the way to the brain is like say faster, very easily spoken. So I can emphasize the attention and the, the understanding of my user by including very specific links because I know that reinforces uh, the mental um, mm. encoding. Okay. And so again, so what, so the way you link then is that mm -hmm. is that just by using the same words or or do you do you embolden words that you want to you're um, trying to link? I mean, how you know what are you, what are you doing there? Uh, to link them, we use them that we really see that they are within the first like uh, one one second when the user turns from one point to the other. We don't link them with explicit um, high, visual highlighting. Okay, just just by the means because um, if we highlight too many things in a document nothing is being seen. So mm. this is the, yep. uh, we have mm. to see that where we use highlighting it has to be very, very um, carefully used because we know that like if we go through a street and we have hundreds and hundreds of signs, we don't see any sign. Yep. So we have to take care of what we emphasize. Yeah, so not all links are emphasized. So if you, um, again, I'm really fascinated by this, you know, because we, uh, <laughs> you know, we we write, we write documents and, you know, and, and, I, and I, I would say that, that we don't do bad, but I don't think we do, you know, I, li I like the idea of having the margin, having a margin title and then having something next to it. I can, I can really, I can really see how that can, how that can work. But if you take a, if you take a, a page of, of, of text, okay. If you, if, if you say you, you write on every line, okay. Mm -hmm. And you wrote on every single line and say, that's, that's a hundred percent. You know, if you wrote on every mm -hmm. single line, that's hundred mm -hmm. percent. What sort of percentage do you think there should be of words on a page? How much, how much, empty space should there be should you be should stuff be be double uh double spaced you know on the you know on the height of the lines and things like that to make it easier to read is that sort of stuff important it's very important uh it's very important because we have from the psychology we have those so-called gestalt principles it's also gestalt in english um these are principles how our brain understands what is content what is background what is everybody's foreground what's background what belongs together and if we, in this usability mapping, as we call the things, how we do it, it's one way, um, it's very strict that the user and the eyes, uh, without really thinking, understands this is background, this is foreground, this is content, this is white space. White space is very important for the brain to um, structure the things that it, that it sees, that it um, 
disease. Mm. So yes, we need uh, in a specific uh, way, white space, like a huge white space between the margin titles, we see that in the lines, like I wouldn't say it's always 1.5 spacing, but definitely a bit bit more spacing than having everything very tight together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and we need those. And then the people then say, um, well, then we need so many pages eh, if we provide space. Um, mm -hmm. In all those documents that we're working in, at the end, our documents are always have less pages than the original ones if you re-engineer them, because in most documents, you have so much blended content. Like we don't really have just the content that the people need, but in little department says, we want this content also. And management says, oh, I want this content also. And then somebody has the idea, well, let's just, just in case, let's put this content inside also. Mm. And if we really stick to those users and use cases and also the scope where we really use it, we can just skip so much content. And mm. then we have light, um, like, with lots of white space, light, good documents, and they're not overwhelming the user. No, I, I get that. And and I know, I know this is probably a, a, almost an impossible question to ask um, or to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, is there, you know, is there like a, an optimum number of sides of, of A4 for a procedure? You know, is it is it best to try and get everything on one side of A4 or two sides, or should you never go over three, or does it just depend on how complex the job is? It, it depends on how, how complex the job is. Uh, one overall very important stuff is that um, we know from psychology that we have specific mental capacities. And this is to remember like seven plus minus two digits. You might have heard about Miller's seven plus minus two. This is the in like short term or the working memory, the amount of chunks, information chunks that we can remember. If I have a telephone number and it's 27, 31, 28, this is three chunks. Okay. And if I have one, seven, eight, nine, then it's four chunks because each is different. So um, we have this capacity of remembering on the average seven plus minus two. So whatever we do, um, the number of lists in the bulletin points, the number of pages of a procedure, the number of elements on a screen, if it stays below this, let's say seven plus minus two, let's say seven, then the brain does not restructure the content that I give it. The, mm. the user's brain. So if I keep everything that below this number, the user will very like if I have a procedure that really has seven pages, the user will very easily after a couple of seconds know, oh, this was on the third page. But if I have something that's 10 pages, the brain cannot um, digest this as what uh, perceive this as one area. It has to restructure it. And then the, the problem kicks in that each user's brain Restructure the, restructures it differently. Mm. So the recommendation is keep every kind of element you need to structure below seven. Okay. This is what you can say. So, so if I'm, if I'm going to put a, a procedure together mm -hmm. um, and so, just say for argument's sake, there's, there's 14 bullet points, okay? Mm -hmm. I, I need to really come up with a way of splitting that down into two, two lots of seven? Yes, would people would, yeah. yeah? Okay. Okay. And um, then sometimes uh, people say, well, this is 14. We cannot restructure it. We cannot make it into bullet lists. There's always an option. Um, and whatever option the engineer of the document provides to the users, as long as it's quite reasonable and he 
gives it to a couple of people and tests it whether it's not completely, if there's no domain knowledge out of, out of reach, it will work because then I provide for the user something with seven digits and this is what the brain can digest. So it's always, it will always work. And um, we see that in uh, rescue procedures, um, in good rescue procedures, as soon as the uh, people get the document, document in writing, whatever instructions, you should never provide him more than four because under stress, we are even worse. We cannot digest or perceive these uh, or mentally process seven elements. We are down to four, even three. So we always give them the first instructions or three or four instructions. Then we see that this, the brain can easily manage. Then after these three or four are done, then they get the next three or four. And we can even follow that the stress, right? It's very easy. If I show my hand, reason. Mm. <laughs> uh, that, uh, the stress rises when we start, especially under stress working. Mm -hmm. And we can really observe in um, uh, brain function studies that the stress really at least levels um, if I don't exceed these four, because stress rises oh, up after four things that I have to do. Oh, I'm done with that. Great. And uh, brain releases a bit stress. And then I get the next one. And in this way, like a way I can also um, level up the stress of my users, that it doesn't just get more and more and more, and then the brain capacity decreases, decreases. Mm. This is a valuable. Yeah. And is, is there a, um, like a, a best type of font to use? Or is there is there a best size of font? You know, I mean... Um, there are the when the fonts are developed we have we used to have um fonts which were perfectly made for paper then we had the fonts that were perfectly made for screen and then companies like adobe microsoft whatever came up with hybrid fonts like calibri or those um which are very well readable on on paper and uh, screen because if you know that your your document will always be read on a screen then there are specific fonts that are better only for the screen. Okay. Uh, if you know they could be printed out, use one of those hybrid fonts. Mm -hmm. And they are specifically made for that purpose, yes. Okay. And when it comes to font size, it depends on the lighting of the surrounding uh, where people use it. Mm -hmm. um, you also have to mention the, the important thing is the contrast between the letter or the, yeah, the, the writing in the background. Mm -hmm. And if it's... And then if I like if I have an A or something, we have these small included areas, we have an A or something, this inside the letter. And this has to be clearly distinguish, distinguishable from the background. Mm -hmm. So if it's a very light uh, surrounding, I could have a bit smaller font. And if it's very dark, then uh, rather dark, uh, then I have to have bigger fonts also. Okay. Okay. And is, um, is, is, black ink on white paper the i mean it's probably the, the most common because it's probably the one of the cheapest to print mm -hmm. but um are there are there are there better combinations of colors that you could use um well definitely black on white is fine but not really black you should use something like 80 percent gray because if you print something in bold because you want to highlight it and if you have a normal text and you have it in 80 percent gray you won't even recognize that it's only 80 percent mm -hmm. like it's gray and then, but if you put one or two words in bold, then they really stand out because mm -hmm. it's just then that they are um, hundred percent black plus bold, they stand out far better. Okay, okay. 
Number ways, um, um, I mean, up this, this is this is really for me. This is great. I love all this stuff. What about um, introducing images then into into procedures? Talk, oh, to, talk to me a bit about that. Well, in many cases, we need Im images. Images are very valuable, uh, but it's very important that wherever possible, use graph lines and not pick not photographs, because mentally, a photograph is by far more complicated to process. It uses by far more like brain power, time, whatever. And it has more of um, interpretation part because if I look at a, at a photograph of um, in the navigation system in the car, at the moment where it was taken, the picture was taken, there was a specific lighting. Um, there was a specific perspective. Uh, and it's also all those things are included in the picture. On the one hand, the user has to process them mentally. On the other hand, they might be different uh, from the context that they now use the system in. Uh, and there's something the brain has to like rework. Oh, this was in another context. And this is loud. It looks a bit different. And it's mentally, um, it takes time. You have to imagine that in our brain per second um, has 16 bits of conscious or aware activity. In the same time, we have 10 million bits per second of unconscious activities. And these unconscious activities are those that really drive our attention, drive our behavior. Um, and if we really see that we want to um, have the the, the brain power, the brain capacity that we use in, in this conscious part, not being too much influenced by all those unconscious thoughts that come into play if we don't take care, like having a picture rather than a line draw. We just have a cognitive overload. And if I only have line drawings, whatever, uh, it might be not as fancy in the beginning, um, but you can very clearly, you can emphasize what you want. You have, everybody has the same um, perspective on it. You can by far more easily uh, annotate things. So use line drawings rather than photographs. Now we see that in, in, in some contexts, people say in yeah. our plant, we want a photograph because this shows the specific um, the stickers that we have our, on our machine or whatever. Yeah, yeah. There might be a couple of cases where this is also um, valuable, but then you have to say that you have to always check whether the photo is up to date that mm -hmm. not somebody has taken away some stickers or whatever, and that you don't use the one procedure because you thought, well, this is okay for the one plan, and then use it on another site where maybe you don't have the stickers and other perspective and the lighting because you have a cognitive overload then and room for miscomprehension. So when you, so can you give us an example of, of a line drawing then, what that would be instead of a photograph? What, 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 what sort of thing would you see? Um, you would just let me, like, like, you know, like I have a navigating car navigation system because maybe that's easy to describe. You would really see where you have the buttons. You see like a, a line rectangle. And if the button is um, called search, you would really have the writing search on it. Okay. And what would be the display where you really see the direction? You would have a color drawing, like a color, like a, uh, like a drawing, a hand drawing, black and white hand drawing of a map inside the, the screen. So really... If you just take all the take out the color, if color is valuable, then well, then you have to include color, stick to color. But always have in mind that um, ten percent of people have a color deficiency, mm -hmm. and um, 
and we tend to see, I always come from war in 2000 things, uh, we tend to think, well, if people don't see color, they just see gray or they, but they have the contrast. That's not what colorblind is about. Um, we have we've mixed the color um, in our brains very easily spoken. And if I have a deficiency, it might be that if we have green on red or something and I'm colorblind, it's just like a blank gray area. I don't see nothing. Mm. So we have to really take care about colorblindness. Mm -hmm. um, so but we do include colors in, uh, in graphs if required, but we always make a colorblind check so that even colorblind people see everything. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I get that. So, 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 really, what you're saying is, 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 if you if you want to put in some kind of uh, of image, mm -hmm. you're you're better off trying to 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 draw in some way mm -hmm. by not necessarily by hand. You can you know you can use you can use graphics and all that, but drawing something that is portraying what is there rather than being exactly what is there could actually be better than yeah. trying to put trying to take a picture and putting mm -hmm. a picture there. Yeah. Because because things things can change. Yeah. And look, if you take, if you have a car and you look at the, the car manual that you have, yeah. marketing materials about a car are fancy photographs. Yep. But inside your instructions, you will not find any photographs. Hmm. Just look at the instructions in your car manual on what your dashboard in your car is like. You won't see any photographs. Right. And this is what we want. Okay. Yeah, I get you. I get you. But I would also, just to, just to counter that then, all right, mm -hmm. when was the last time anybody ever looked at that document? Because everybody looks at the fancy, everyone looks at the fancy, yeah. uh, the fancy brochure. You yeah, know, and, and, then, it, and it's very rare that they'll go and have a look in the in the user manual, isn't it? Um, yes, only if you want to, if you have some like blinking up and you have to turn to it and really find out about yeah. something. Yes, yeah. Okay. So, so, um, so you've got this. You've 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 produced this this procedure, and you've mm -hmm. you've followed the you've followed the rules about about you know getting the right amount of information on there. And and laying it out, not not as a beauty contest, but as mm -hmm. laying it out so, so that people can, you know, can engage with it easily. And you've got your nice drawings. Mm -hmm. How do you then? How do you then get people to to actually read it? How do you? Yeah. What what is the what is the? Because what happens a lot in industry is a procedure gets produced and then it gets it gets given out to people and then they have to sign to say they've read and understood it on the bottom. And we all know that in, in loads and loads of cases people have just put their signature yeah. on that. so so how do we how do we how do we get over that that problem um i think we should step one get go one step um back why yeah. do people just put the uh signature on it because they say this is of no use for me so i can just put the signature on it there's it's not it doesn't have any value for me to read it mm -hmm. but if i engineer the document so that the users oh this is really helpful in the beginning, um, it's always a matter of educating people. We've got um, huge companies who've um, now really do worldwide all the documents in this way. And it's a matter of education to get to people in the beginning to say, um, look at the document, we've got new documents. And then um, you see in the company, the philosophy changes because the people get to, well, and they talk to each other. Well, see, we've got new procedures now. They are better. They can really help. So you have to make better procedures better documents, and then people will start using them. It's like, um, if I always give the people bad docu uh, cumbersome documents, nothing will change. They have to, ex the, user have, the users have to experience that the things that I give to them is valuable. And it can only be valuable and helpful if it's tightly 
um, focused on the needs that the user has in this specific situation, whether it be a nurse yeah, that does a very specific procedure, which is new, which is not maybe um, perfectly routine in it, or a critical logout, takeout, lots and lots and lots of cases. But you have to give them something valuable and then it's going to take some time that they understand the new one is really valuable because I definitely agree to you that uh, people have so much bad experience with awful documents. Mm. But so how much time are you spending with the user when you're putting a document together then? Oh, yeah. completely dependent on the document. Sometimes it's an online briefing, a couple of hours talking. Uh, sometimes it's a, it's on being on site for for some time, really seeing what people do to really understand what they do, and then be able to engineer the document. Mm. I cannot say uh, whether it's let's, let's uh, take um the example that we've used all the way through the the, uh, the discussion a lockout a lockout tagout document. Mm -hmm. You know, so so talk talk us through how you'd how you'd go about putting or, or developing one of those with with a, a set of users. Well, this one would be like when we have a client who has yeah like old-fashioned logout takeout procedures, we'll, we'll see what parts, what are the use case? The first thing is who are, who are the ones using it? What skill sets do they have? Mm -hmm. And well, logout takeout is mostly very clear from the use cases stuff, but we'll go through um, either the directly with the users or with the respective uh, representative on site. What are the use cases, the specific use cases when something has to be logged out, take out? Uh, how does it look on site in your plant, whatever? And they see what steps of the logout stakeout uh, procedure are really valuable for the user to put in the document. Um, in the best case, check it with users with with could be blue color worker management, but we really see that we get the users, not the ones on top who just tell people what to do, mm -hmm. and then kind of evaluate uh, whether this really serves the purpose. So really see um, go through. Um, on site, go through how they really do this to really capture the, the process, capture the procedure, and then put it in a document. Okay. And so typically then, and again, I would say this is probably an impossible question to answer, but I'm going to ask it. Mm -hmm. how, how many, you know, how many procedures, how many procedures should a business have? You know, is there, you know, is there, is there, is there too many? I mean, can you, can you can you get to a stage where there's just too many? So I've worked in organisations where they've got they've had they've had hundreds and hundreds of of procedures and big books and 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 sometimes the the really important stuff has got lost in amongst all the all the all the fluff, you know. So how do you? I suppose how you know there might there might be a need to have to have a hundred procedures, but how do you how do you get the the ten outs that are really important? You said this is an impossible question. It is. Um, it's, it's really, Sorry. <laughs> it's, it's really problematic because uh, you, can, you can never say a number. It's just, uh, but I think we have to have a huge, um, a reasonable approach to this to see what, what can we put in writing that is reasonable that people can follow it and what we, what we really, um, what is helpful. We cannot regulate everything. But and there are, there are some procedures procedures that we need for legal purposes or regulative re, regulative purposes also. Yeah. Um, but see, but we have to see that where do we um, where do we really help people and where do they need the the, the users? 
uh, and where do they really get a benefit out of these procedures um, and put those in writing. And I think it's mostly better to have the most important, if I say 10 now, this is really just some number, but it's really yeah. not meant as 10. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're the most important ones uh, at hand, very well done, and that the people learn that these are valuable rather than having 100 and they are all yeah, not worth the paper they're written on it because nobody's using them. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. And you will have those where uh, specifically, uh, yeah, life is at stake and health is at stake and environment. That's mm-hmm. critical, yeah. So if you if you're putting together say say you're putting together a health and safety management system, okay. Mm-hmm. So because again those those are things that get uh, that get that get produced and you know there's organisations out there that that basically just photocopy one document for for one company into another company. You know we see that see that all the time. Yeah. Um, how do you go about how do you go about indexing something then so that again it's really focusing in on the on the things that are important. Is there, is there is there a, is there a is there a good sort of way of doing that? You know, to sort to pull those important aspects and those important topics out. Um, the the most important thing is that when we on the one hand when we have a huge number of documents that we don't um, organize documents but we organize content. Um, in so many cases, um, we see that we index documents, but you from when you turn to the document title. You don't really know, is it a procedure? Is it a standard? Is it a policy? Um, is it, where does it stop? Where does it end? So the, fir- the first thing is we have to make sure that we have um, the content organized and not the document titles. That's one thing. And when we go about indexing, um, we have to index from the uh, point of view of using the documents, not from the point of view from the organization that says we need to have these documents, um, but from the user and users have a different, in one of your um, other podcasts, you talk about perspective. Yeah. Uh, users have a different perspective on everything and we should index everything on the, of the, uh, from the perspective of the users who is turning to the document, mm-hmm. users who are document, yeah. And so, can, can you give us an example? Can you give us an example of how that looks, say for, say for somebody at the sharp end of a business, you know, the person, the person out in the field who's, who's doing a particular job? How would, how would it look to them compared to, say, what the, the managing director sees? Well, it's um, taking the log out tag so easy. Um, it'd rather be the document that says, look, that, that the, um, in the index we say um, log out, tag out procedure, mm-hmm. and not just uh, or the how to log out and tag out this and that machine or whatever it is, to really say this how to a procedure that I really... In the title, I already see that it's procedure how to. It tells me how I do something. Because if it's a leg out, tag out policy, it would be something, what's the policy in our company? Um, how we deal with logging out, taking out. Mm-hmm. Um, but already in this, then if I turn to the document, I see, oh, there's one log out, tag out policy, and there's one log out, tag out procedure. And I already know the procedure is for me, who now I have to go outside and log out something. Mm-hmm. This is so, 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 so potentially then. I'm just, again, I'm just trying to trying to think of practical ways that that some of the listeners could actually apply some of this into their workplace, rather than having a a a document title that says "Kosh," which is a mm-hmm. controller substance as as health. The title mm-hmm. might say "How How to Manage Chemicals" or yes. something like that. Yeah, yeah. So make it make it make it. And then is that what? 
just explain to us then the difference between a procedure and a policy. Well, the procedure is really um, that I, me as a user of the document, law, it takes me to step one, to step two, three, under this condition, go further with step four, whatever. And the policy would be more that in our organization, our um, policy, when it comes to um, take out policies, but maybe a, not the best example, but mm -hmm. a policy is something like um, in our company, this is the way we do something. This is in general what we believe in, what we what should be done, um, mm. but not generally like um, or guidelines or other type of document. Like we say, um, the procedure would tell me this is the way I log out, take out something, log out some uh, energy, and in the guideline it would say in our company we always um, have to log out uh, a machine in this in this case, and it has to be a four maybe four I principle and whatever. So it's a policy that states how we do it in principle or guidelines and procedure is telling step by step what to do like a handbook. So so yeah. again, I mean just just you know, really interesting to hear your perspective here. So so in in the in not well, saying the UK, a lot of the businesses that I work with in the UK, they um they say that every person that's operating on a piece who's doing maintenance on a piece of equipment. Mm -hmm. must put their own lock onto mm -hmm. onto the uh onto the equipment and mm -hmm. using a hasp or something like that mm -hmm. would that be would that be something that is written in the policy yeah. or is that something that's written in the procedure or does it appear it would, in both? Mm -hmm. it would be in the, like probably in the policy of the company as such and in the procedure there would be then what one step it says and now put your lock on this and that mm -hmm. part of the machine or whatever but in the policy, it would be like as you said, everybody has his own. Yeah. Okay. I, th I think I think you know what I've seen examples of is a real mix of both. You know, there's a there's policy and procedure mm -hmm. that's uh, that's sort of mixed up into into these documents. That's trying to it's trying to sort everything out. It's trying to sort the whole world out in in in, in, well, in a bit of A4 yeah. paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's uh, what we like to call it, like document loyalty. That we see what kind of documents. Do we need in our company? Do we need standards? Do we need policies? Do we have procedures, handbooks, so that we see what types of documents? And it, it's um, irrelevant of how we call it, um, but that we know the type of document. That this is really just hands-on. I have to do something. Yes, I have to. If I have some people which I onboard, I might give them documents about our policies in the company. Mm -hmm. This is what you should know about how we work in principle. Or this is the standard, which is how it is done in specific um, parts or whatever. But if we have a document loyalty, um, and this is not, not something that you can introduce by having one new document. This is something that evolves in a, in a company when you get the importance of um, differentiating or the value of differentiating document types. Um, then then uh, it, it, you feel that the... Uh, climate in the company about documents is different. That people don't, uh, especially the the really the workers, that they don't find documents only cumbersome, but, but they find them they start finding them really helpful and turn to them. Yeah. So if you were going to um if you were going to give some advice then to somebody that's about to to have a go at rewriting their procedures, mm -hmm. what's the 
can you give us some, some you know some the, the sort of steps that they need to they need to go through i don't know if it's three steps or five steps or ten okay. steps or well, there'll be seven won't there? there'll be seven steps you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you, you listen to me i like that <laughs> can you i mean are you able to are you able to just give a little a little bit of guidance of, of the sort of thing just you know the sort of things that people should be thinking about yeah i think uh the first one is that um really start thinking about who you are writing this for and what do these people really need in the situation when they turn to the document? Like mm-hmm. think what are what what are what is what is the skill set of these people, mm-hmm. depending on domain knowledge, language, things like that. And then think about in what like, like small stories or scenarios, um, write down or think of when are they using it. And if you know what use cases um, this document should serve then you'll know what content the people really need to serve these use cases mm-hmm. uh, and what content is not required for any of these use cases. And if you find, but these are my users, this is what they want from the document. And then I find I have 20 information chunks, whatever. And I find, well, three of those, in all of these use cases, I need any of this content and throw them out. Mm-hmm. So see that you kind of um, narrow your documents down to what the users really need. And then next part is about thinking about um, specific writing, wording, and all those things. But the first thing is get the specifications. What is it really? And so that you don't get too much blended content. Oh, interesting, interesting. It's, uh, it's really fascinating, really fascinating. And, uh, you know, and... You know, and it's, it, you know, if you get this right, then it can it can have a a massive impact on on how people engage because yeah. you know because I you know generally generally speaking, okay, mm-hmm. people don't engage with health and safety management systems. They yeah. these things get produced, they get put into a folder, they get put mm-hmm. on a shelf, and nobody ever and nobody ever uh, ever ever looks at them. Yeah. And so, and but, sorry, go. On. But, um, but um, there's a track record of PF of incidents where we know that uh, bad, badly written or not badly written document or not even considered documents um, led to catastrophes because we know that if people had perfect procedures which were they were capable of dealing under stress with all those things that we include to make it um, stress worthwhile, people could have uh, we have many incidents that could have been avoided. Mm-hmm. Um, but you need good documents or need, you need the culture and the climate in the company that people have understood that now the new document documents are valuable. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. And that, that understanding that's still, that's, you know, that's, you know, so, so writing a good document, you know, hopefully gets people to engage better with stuff. Is there a way, you know, is there a way of actually, of actually testing people's understanding, you know? Oh, yeah, that- yes. Yeah, like we do usability tests with system where we put people in front of, of a piece of software, whatever, or big machines and give them tasks to solve uh, in the system, or we do with, which we do with big uh, dashboards and plants or even uh, websites. We can do that with documents. Like we give people documents, we did this, give them um, the method with the, the, that I work with is usability mapping. Uh, from the Canadian company. Um, if you give people the old document, you give five people the old document and five people the newly engineered document, and they say both have to um, solve the same task, like find out how to do this or that. You will find that 
in the well-engineered document, people find the content by far faster uh, and get the correct answer. And in the other ones that they take more time and often show up with the wrong answer. So yes, you can just test it. Mm. I like that. Thank I like that. I like that. I like the idea. Because if you if you show if you've involved people in in putting the a new document together mm-hmm. and then they they're able to then demonstrate to their to their peers about mm-hmm. how much easier it is to to use and to follow then there's a much much better chance that that everybody's going to uh, going to buy into it you know yeah. and it's going to you know so that's uh, yeah i like that i like that so. we, we even have um not here in vienna but in uh in, in canada a client that uh who rolls out the method that we use completely Mm-hmm. And the insurance companies even decrease the, the things they have to pay for the insurances because they know that when incidents happen with a really well-made, well-engineered document, the likeliness mm-hmm. of respective incidents has decreased. Mm-hmm. And this is yeah. also always a good argument. Yeah, no, definitely. So, you know, so there's a there's a there's a piece of work where you've got to you've got to look at your business and you've got to actually really look at well what you know, what are the people, how do the people engage, you know, and, you know, what's their understanding, what's their knowledge set, the the areas, the areas where you're going to get most benefit for putting good quality procedures and policy in place, yeah. and then, and then do some and, and see how it works. And then, yeah. and then just slowly, it's, it's, it's a slow, it's a, it's a much slower process than how you tend to see it, which is people turn up and write these documents and and sell them or put them into a into a place and yeah. and, and they just they just like I say sit on a shelf. Yeah. There's a there's but, a lot more time, isn't there? But no, not really, because we okay. find that um, once you've kind of understood the method, that's mm-hmm. really how to do it. Mm-hmm. It's faster because you don't write any lengthy sentences anymore. It's mm-hmm. shorter. It's more brief. Um, it's like more like building blocks that you put together. Mm-hmm. And this lengthy writing, and I know that all from those technical writing schools where the people have like three years educations, and they, um, they've um, all over the last, I don't know, 20 years been told this is the way to do it. Mm-hmm. But there is no psychology in there. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what we find, as soon as people have understood the method of how, how it can be done, they are faster in the process of engineering the document than they were beforehand when they were really writing long sentences and everything. Mm. Brilliant. Brilliant. That's really, really, really interesting. So how um how can people get hold of you then if um if somebody wants to it wants to touch base and uh and have a chat about this further? Um uh, yeah always always welcome. Um maybe you can you put in why could you put my contacts? That's the best. Either you contact me with Verena, which is my first name, V-E-R-E-N-A, at usabilitymapping.com. Mm-hmm. Usability mapping is the way how uh, the company I work uh, with in Canada, the way we produce company, uh, really good documents, uh, engineered documents. Um, yes, or Colin, if you have a contact on your, I don't know, in your podcast, whether you have some kind of contacts with your, mm-hmm. you invited. Yeah, no, we can. Um, yeah. themselves. Yeah, no, we can now. Uh, we can put some details. Mm-hmm. We can put some details in the notes in the show notes. Yeah. So, um, you know, so it's absolutely no problem at all. We'll get yeah. that. Uh, we'll get that in. Perfect. And what I can offer, what I always like to do, is kind of um, I often give, I call this awareness presentations, like a twenty minutes, half an hour presentation per Zoom. Now nowadays, always Zoom to get people um, to learn more about the method. And we do that for free for companies because it's on the one hand, because I just love talking about it. And I love talking about the psychology of documents and of all these. And so that people have an idea that they can get to know it. So if somebody wants to 
get a awareness presentation we also have them on the website we do them on a regular basis but also just contact me we can always do that that's absolutely fantastic yeah. Verena thank you thank you so much for your time an hour has absolutely flown by yeah. and it's absolutely oh, so time flew by I really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know but thank you so much for coming on and, and thank you for reaching out you know I really I really appreciated that and you're, um, you're welcome you know and, and I think there's this there's some really great stuff uh, there to uh, you know for people to think about all right. Thank you very much. Cheers. It was a pleasure. <laughs> Verena, thank you so much for coming on the show and for reaching out. Um, you know, you you contacted me a few a few weeks back and said, "Look, Colin, you know, I love your love your show, but uh, that you just needed to give a little bit more detail about what makes a good document. You know, what makes a good process, a good procedure, a good policy." And it's been really great to talk about it. And, you know, obviously having clear and simple procedures is really important. But, you know, looking at the document from the user's perspective, you know, making it, um, you know, key keyword searchable almost, you know, having that margin um, title down the left-hand side, you know, so it starts to split the document up, you know, make it something more engaging. You know, the downside of putting pictures into a, a procedure. I never really considered that. You know, I always see it as an upside, but in actual fact, it can sometimes, it can overcomplicate, it can confuse, you know, so keeping things simple, line drawings, that kind of stuff. You know, really, really em enjoyed the chat. You know, thank you ever so much for coming on. And and hopefully the people that are listening to this are going to get something, uh, something from this episode. You know, keep things simple, straightforward, to the point. You know, and involve the people that are doing the job in actually putting the uh, the documents together, so that they can actually see, you know, some benefit from it. You know, when you've got a new document, try it. Try try the original document with a group. Try the new document with another group, and actually see how well people engage. You know, and and, and pick out those key activities, the ones the ones that are a bit complicated, the ones where people, you know, need to get the information quickly, such as emergency procedures. You know, that kind of stuff. Hey, look, you know, I hope there's been some benefit to this. You know, thanks a lot for listening. And, uh, you know, please subscribe, please share, you know, all the things that you need to do to, uh, to, get the, uh, to get the podcast spread out there. Hey, thank you ever so much for your time. Bye now. Thanks for listening to the Interesting Health and Safety Podcast. You can follow and engage on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching the Interesting Health and Safety Community or go to www.influentialmg.com. And remember, let's make health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilised in the real world as the only solution available, as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Colin Nottage.